Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing what highly sensitive people need in relationships. I've been trying to figure out how to do an episode for a very long time now on what I think highly sensitive people need in relationship. Now, that's tricky for me to put together because we all have different needs, but we all have similar needs, too. So each one of us is on this path to really figure out wants versus needs. And when it comes to relationship, need is a real... mm, tricky word when we think about needs and wants emotionally. So I think what we're trying to sort out there, what I've tried to sort out in my life relationally is what are my non-negotiables? What do I really need? What really honors the personality and the temperament that I have? I don't think we learn enough about compatibility through middle school and high school when we start to become interested in others romantically, sexually, we don't get enough guidance on what compatibility is. We don't even really think about compatibility. Often until we're facing separating, divorcing, or breaking up, do we start to consider compatibility. So I'm going to use the word need, but I'm going to use it lightly. We're each figuring out what our own non-negotiables are and what will really complement our personalities, and that helps us figure out our own areas of growth too. So I hope that this list I've compiled will help you consider yourself as I share how I've had to consider myself relationally. So this list is in no particular order, and a lot of these things overlap. And the first thing I want to talk about is verbal commitments expressed in action. And what does that mean? So A lot of what I notice in my own historical relationships and in working with people is that a lot of us as highly sensitive people have a lot of integrity about doing what we say and saying what we mean, at least attempting to. Now, maybe some of us are still working out a lot of passive aggressiveness, maybe that we learned from our families of origin, but generally we are trying as a tribe in general to do what we say and say what we mean. So as a highly sensitive person, 
I have tried historically very, very hard to make what I'm doing match what I'm saying in relationship. And what I've had to really sit back and process about relationships that have ended in my life is that this was a real struggle point, that it doesn't work for me to be in a close, committed relationship where someone kind of gives me lip service about what they're going to do, and then it doesn't happen. Now, a lot of times this happens in couples between communication. A lot of times different partners within the couple will say, like, oh, I'm working on communication. I'm working on communication. But healthiness is a foreign language to most of us. And that's a sad statement. I don't want that statement to hold any kind of truth for myself or anybody else. But particularly in this American culture that we have, we don't have a lot of healthy relating, a lot of emotional communication, a lot of vulnerability. We don't teach any of that stuff in school ever. And so any of that that we get tends to be from mindful parents who are seeking that knowledge out. And very few of us have been raised by mindful people. So my question to myself and other people has often been, how would you go about learning a foreign language? Because most people don't walk around going, hey, I'm learning Spanish. I'm learning Italian. I'm, I'm just going to try real hard. I'm trying really hard to learn that language. Well, how? Like you've got to be listening to tapes to take that information in, or you've got to be talking to a native speaker. You can't just sit down in one spot and go, yeah, I'm going to try real hard on this. Just from your own consciousness, you don't have the knowledge in there. So it's been important for me to figure out as a human being that what I have intentionally looked for in partnership is someone else that sort of is equal to being able to express and carry through with verbal commitments actionably. Because without the action behind it, well, how are you working on communication? Oh, well, I'm talking to a coach. I'm talking to a therapist. Okay, cool. How are you learning that foreign language? Oh, I'm listening to tapes. I'm trying to work through a workbook. Cool. Then that's how you're doing that. But just crossing your fingers and wanting knowledge to fall out of the sky and become practice is irrational. And it doesn't really work. And that's often why a lot of highly sensitive people are frustrated within partnership. All right. Number two, not taking things personally. Now, Earlier in my career, earlier in my life, when I first heard this as a concept, it was like my brain hurt, (laughs) feeling the wheels turn, because I had been raised by people with personality disorders. And part of that cluster of personality disorders is very much a practice of reactivity and intentionally taking things personally or reactively taking things personally to give self permission to explode or lash out. So not taking things personally is something that I really had to learn conceptually at first. You've heard me talk about it before. Anytime I've mentioned the four agreements, this is one of the four agreements. And what I have needed in partnership is someone to have enough insight and maturity and security to be willing to work on not taking things personally because none of us get this education when we're younger. So to almost all of us, this is not going to be something that we're naturally good at doing. This is going to be something that takes 
commitment. It takes personal commitment for me to continue to work on this as a human being. That when other people are angry or other people lash out or other people do things that don't make sense to me, that's not about me. That's about them. That's about where they are. That's about where their headspace is. So in relationships, especially when we live together and we're in close quarters, I'm going to use the word dangerous. It's dangerous in relationship to take things personally because it causes a lot of unnecessary hurt feelings and it is starting to walk towards victim mentality. Okay, now how does that show up between people? Just showed up this morning. So this is something that I constantly work on within my partnership with Chris. I asked a question about where the dog was from a little place of anxiety He wasn't in the house. I didn't see him. Where was he? Chris got defensive as if I was saying he did something wrong. So we work to know that both of us have to ground ourselves in not taking things personally. And this shows up for highly sensitive people in relationships so, so often. Why? Because we have sensitive nervous systems. So we tend to lean more anxious. Okay. So if my anxiety is taken personally by Chris, we're going to have a little conflict. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It doesn't mean it's a World War III level explosion. It just means it's a little friction point. And we're, we're working on those friction points with a lot of willingness together. And that's a big thing that I know that I need and many HSPs need in relationship. I would make the argument that everyone on the planet to have a healthy partnership needs a certain amount of willingness from a partner to look inward and to go, hey, what is it about me? Or why am I getting so defensive to that? How is that helping the situation? So in not taking things personally, we also learn how to let go of defensiveness. And that helps us stay closer, stay bonded, and stay connected. It is hard to stay connected being a couple If we're taking turns being super defensive, I'm not a big sports person, but that's why we have defensive positions in sports, right? Because they're on opposite teams, the offense and the defense. So we have to learn in partnership how to not do that in partnership because it's not a football game. We're not on opposing teams. We're on the same team. So if one of us goes offensive or defensive, All of a sudden, in that moment, we are not on the same team. So not taking things personally helps us stay on the same team. All right, the third thing. I need for myself as a human being and for my partner an acceptance that a relationship is a constant negotiation. Now, this is one of these basic, basic, basic things that if all of us had been taught this in middle school, we wouldn't have such a struggle with this. A lot of us walk around with this idealized notion that if a relationship is right, it just kind of falls into place and it's easy and you don't have to keep negotiating all these things. I don't like making things black and white, right or wrong, because I think there's a lot of gray. But for that, I want to say, ooh, it's just wrong. Constantly relating, living together, building a life together, that takes constant And I do mean constant negotiation from what are we going to eat for breakfast? What do you want to do for lunch? What are we doing tonight? What do you want to do this weekend? Who's going to bring the dog to the vet? Hey, this household thing needs to happen. How are we going to do that? Are you going to do that? Am I going to do that? How do we negotiate that? 
even from picking what movie we're going to watch. That is a constant negotiation. Life has so many details for all of us individually and together to keep up with. So we're going to constantly have to talk about and negotiate those details and those responsibilities. And by constant negotiation, a really important factor here is to remain on the same team, something that can be very destructive for intimacy and for connection is when people compete instead of be on the same team. So when one parent acts like they have everything figured out with the kids, but the other parent doesn't, that's not acting in partnership. That's putting your partner on another team and helping that other parent feel isolated and shamed. I've been in business for myself for a long time. In a past relationship, one of the things that that added to some of the destruction of it was that I thought there was a lot of partnership there to learn from each other in business. And I became really hurt learning that that wasn't a team effort. I thought I was on a team, but there was actually a competition element there. This person didn't want to learn what I had learned about running my own business. He wanted to do better than me and show me that he could do better than me. And when I realized that, I thought, oh, this is why this has felt like such an uphill battle. This is why this has felt like swimming upstream. We're not on the same team. Somebody's competing with me, not working with me. So we want to make sure that we remain on the same team with each other. That's why we don't take things personally. That's why we work to express in action what we verbally committed to. This is why life is a constant negotiation. And we don't want to make our partners wrong for needing to negotiate more. Particularly if we're highly sensitive, we're probably going to need to negotiate more. Why? We have a lot of awareness. We see how the future dominoes are going to fall. I really like phrasing this as the gift of prophecy, that we can really see this. So we're going to name these things and want to negotiate. And there's a fine line there between being a planner and sort of future tripping with anxiety. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History. The next thing, letting go of ideals. I've already kind of mentioned some ideals, but these are the childish wishes and dreams we all sort of fall into. There's no way to be raised in this American culture of lifetime movies and commercials and All of these images of ideals and 30-minute sitcoms that wrap up family issues 
You know, so we wind up entering relationships from the time we're teenagers on with ideals about what an ideal love will feel like or look like. In truth, what a lot of us are figuring out, what I've had to figure out, is okay, I come from a really toxic family system. So in a partnership, we're probably not going to never raise a voice. So what's a reasonable amount of voice raising between two people who are living together and doing life together? Certainly some, huh? What's healthy anger? How do we do that when we've been raised around unhealthy anger that bottles up or explodes or anger that throws fuel on the fire by putting alcohol on top of it? How are we going to express frustration? Because surely in a good relationship, we're going to be frustrated with each other sometimes. We're going to be annoyed. How much of that is reasonable and okay? How much of that is not? And we have to figure that out as highly sensitive people so that we're not sort of trying to work our relationship into some kind of ideal because we can't ever get there. If this is a little sneaky way that perfectionism can come bite us in the booty. Like love doesn't equal lovely 100% of the time in relationship. So with myself, how much of my sort of human flawed system is allowable and okay and I just have to accept? And how much is workable? for myself and for the other person in relationship with me. And we want to watch sneaky expectations. This is a part of letting go of the ideals. Sometimes sneaky expectations are, I thought this would be easier and we wouldn't have to negotiate and you'd just know what I wanted. No, but that means I'm trying to make my partner be psychic. That's not going to work. Or I expected that we've been together long enough, like maybe you would just... Know me enough to figure that out by now. Nope. I still have to do the work to assert myself and to say what I mean and mean what I say. This is why everything on this list in some ways is kind of covered in my boundaries course. Because we have to understand who we are to set up some boundaries for ourselves to know what we want and need and how to negotiate that. We have to figure that out internally with ourselves and we have to figure out How does that work externally? How do I communicate that? How do I negotiate that with my partner? Personal responsibility is a huge thing that I need, not just in my romantic main relationship, but anybody that's allowed into my inner circle of vulnerability has to have a certain amount of personal responsibility. And I do think a lack of personal responsibility is very high up on the list for being the cause of divorce. Personal responsibility is sort of the only thing that makes the marriage team work. Because without each person taking responsibility of like, this is my shit, or this is my stuff, even if I don't like what the other person is doing, and I think they're wrong about some things too, if I don't stay in ownership of what is mine, It takes two to tango. What am I bringing to this party? What am I bringing to the table? I'm imperfect. What do I need to work on? How can I make this dynamic better or easier or lighter or gentler? But without that personal responsibility, 
the pattern that tends to happen is, hey, it's you. It's your fault. It's you. This was you. You need to, you, 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 you. And it's blame and it's shame. And the most destructive form of this lack of personal responsibility happens when someone calls that blame and shame help. I started seeing this early in my career around weight loss and working with families. I met a few parents that would do things like chain the refrigerator shut so their child wouldn't just go eat food to try to manage their weight. And these parents were always very puzzled when, despite all their efforts, their children weren't ballooning up because with that much shame, they're going to go to more food for soothing. Blame and shame when it's being called help becomes sort of a, this sounds like a big word, but I'm going to use it, an accidental torture for a highly sensitive person, especially an empath. Why? Because it winds up being death by a thousand cuts. HSPs lean anxious. Our nervous systems are very raw. And so when a partner is sort of poking and going, hey, you need to do this better. You're not doing this right. You need to do it like this. I know the right way and you're not doing it the right way. My way is the right way. Your way is the wrong way. What's happening there is that things that are very, very important to a highly sensitive person's constitution don't happen. It's very important to a highly sensitive person to be heard, to be seen, to be respected, to be asked questions instead of just told and talked at. So each one of those shaming, lack of responsibility phrases about what's your fault, what's your fault, what's your fault, becomes like a death by a thousand cuts. And when a couple can't figure that out, often what happens is years of tense struggle and the highly sensitive person often gets to a place of, I just need a change. I can't take the tension level anymore. I can't take the lack of finding solution and shifting any more, and the divorce lever gets pulled, or the separation lever gets pulled. Because it's a nervous system issue, that highly sensitive person just gets more raw and more raw until they can't take it anymore. So if you find yourself in this pattern and problem relationally, try to work with a couples therapist, somebody that can be non-threatening, non-intimidating, and can really hold some space for both of you to do some work. All right, moving right along. Important thing that I need is as soon as possible, letting go of hurt within myself. This is a principle I have and also for my partner. Why? Because hurt is not to become weaponized if we are on the same team. So holding on to hurt instead of practicing letting go of hurt is a way to hold on to it, to lash out with it later as a weapon or to keep score. And all of that is passive aggressive. All of that is fear of vulnerability. And that may be a sign that you're in a scapegoating position within the family system. And sometimes someone who's really insecure needs someone else to be wrong. And so they'll hold any wrong or any mistake to sort of punish with later. It's really hard to move forward. It's really hard to resolve things, really let them go and move forward. And the weight of that, of things from years past or months past being brought up, 
felt too weighty to me. I have a commitment with myself that I only deal with one problem with a person at a time. So if you come to me and say, hey, Nikki, something happened yesterday, we'll talk about it and deal with it. But if you're kind of treating me poorly and I have to ask, what's going on? I don't get it. And it's something that happened months ago that I'm past and we talked about it and we're past it, then we can't move forward. And part of what I need as a human being is to be able to move forward unimpeded. I don't want anyone pulling me back or holding me back, not even with the past. So it's important to me to cultivate within myself and within my partnership a letting go of hurt as soon as possible. That doesn't mean denying it. That doesn't mean hurrying up and dismissing feelings just to hurry up and and be past it. It means honoring it, but then letting it go. I need people in my inner circle that I relate to to know and own their own mental health issues. So if anyone says to me they don't have any mental health issues, they're good, they're not going to be in my inner circle. Why? Because I know all of us have work to do, all of us. And what that person is telling me or showing me is that they may not be willing or have the insight to self-reflect and know that there's always growth work, especially when we're relating to people. And the last thing that I've learned is really important to me in partnership is I need a self-starter who's self-motivated. And I suspect that highly sensitive people also would benefit from understanding the compatibility there with self-starters. Many of us as highly sensitive people are recovering people pleasers. So many recovering people pleasers have history of dating people that they're saving, they're savers. So if someone shows up to me and says, Nikki, I've got this pattern. I keep trying to save people and then they kind of pull me down. Then what we're going to work on is actually self-respect. And we're going to look at some things like what's going on that you're dating people that are sort of messier than you are? Because that's often about control. It's about not wanting to be vulnerable. So if I'm saving someone else, then I am the helper I'm the one who lifts up. That is a role that I can get behind. If I don't do that, I might not know what role to take in relationship. It's part of the growth path to learn how to not be a saver and to be able to date more of an equal that you don't have to drag behind you, push, pull, cajole, beg towards healthiness. It's codependent to want to save other people Because it robs them of the experience of saving themselves. So we have to face as people pleasers that we sort of block other people from adulting when we're not in active recovery from people pleasing. And we want relationships to be reciprocal. People pleasers are exhausted and tired because they're doing and over-functioning for other people in their lives. So to have more balance and more ease, having self-starters, self-motivated people around me Helps me honor not trying to save or cajole or beg or push because I can sit back and trust that my partner or my friends are doing their own work from a place of self-starting and self-motivation. I hope in me sharing some of what I've figured out about my own personality, my own temperament, my own past, my own needs, the ways that I'm healing, 
the ways that I negotiate with myself and have to negotiate in partnership. I hope you can hear how important emotional internal boundaries are as the foundation of all other work. And that the boundaries that we can learn how to enact internally, even with our own thoughts and our behaviors and within our relational thoughts and behaviors, that we can grow into the boundaries that we very much need to be successful and to shift from surviving to the thriving that we all deserve to feel. That's what's available within compatibility. And part of why it bothers me so much that compatibility is not part of our basic education because it's so, so impactful who we partner with, who we let into our inner circles and why and the ways that our puzzle pieces fit other people's puzzle pieces. And when we really want to change and grow and break some old patterns, we have to change and grow and break some old patterns And we often need some help and some guidance in doing that because that knowledge, that awareness does not just fall out of the sky. Well, unless maybe you're listening to a podcast, (laughs) maybe then and only then it can fall out of the sky. If you'd like to sign up for my boundaries course that starts late October this year, we still have an early bird discount code. It's early bird 2020. If you pay it in full, you can get $100 off of the $450 big boundaries course. Now, this is about two years of therapeutic work. When you buy this course with me, I will also allow you to be in it for a second year so that you can really, if you want to, revisit that course and see how far you've come and how far you still need to go. In some ways, boundaries work will be things that we work on as highly sensitive people, as survivors, as empaths till the end of our days. Why? Because life relating is a constant negotiation, as I shared in this episode. So knowing how to do that with healthy, strong, clear, low drama, low headache boundaries, super useful. So again, early bird 2020, you can find the boundaries course at emotionalbadass.com or nikkieisenhower.com. I would love to have you. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank people who have gotten on iTunes to give us an amazing review. I want to thank Allie Smith. I'm so glad you get to have a mommy and wife time out because of emotional badass. Yay. I hope you're enjoying your time out today. Thank you so much for spending time writing a review. I want to thank Cadence's mama. She gave the show a big thank you on our iTunes review. Oh, I'm glad that it's helping you to feel understood. Star, Chelsea Star, she calls this this show salvation, that it's an incredible oasis for an empath and that there's more that you can't express in words. Those are pretty amazing expressive words an oasis for an empath. Thank you, Chelsea. I want to thank B. Salazar. Aw. You say that as someone with childhood trauma who desires to become an emotional grown-up, that you appreciate this healing guidance. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Yes, I think that's what all of us are trying to do. We're trying to really learn what it is to be an emotional grown-up in a world that maybe doesn't have so many emotional grown-ups. 
That's part of why you hear me say a lot that I believe highly sensitive people are the sort of secret leaders in the world. We are growing into this and we are showing others what it is to grow into being an emotional grown-up. Thank you all so much for being our marketing team. Every time one of you spends the time and the effort, I know it's kind of a pain in the ass to get on iTunes and write the review, but you really, really, really help us stay high in the charts and you help other highly sensitive people, survivors, and empaths connect to this content. Oh, every time it makes me cry because I know there are people out there who are still absolutely clueless that they are highly sensitive and how much struggle and confusion and scapegoating that they're experiencing. So when you get on and write us a review, you genuinely help another human being figure themselves out. What greater gift can be given than that? So thank you, thank you, thank you from me, from Chris, from Kat, from our team, and from everybody in the future that's going to find this because of the reviews y'all get on and write. Light and love, and I will see you next time. I am an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.